Hello, North Shore, and welcome to my home. Uh, this week, we are recording remotely, and we're doing that because we're getting our church ready for you. We are going to begin our live services September 13th. A 9 a.m. and an 11 a.m. service will have our live worship team, will have a live preaching, all elements live. But we need a little time these next couple weeks to move the equipment over so that we can bring a quality online presentation. Because what we understand is many of you uh, are still in a space where you can't come to a live service. You know, we're in a pandemic and we want to just really honor our online community. So we love you all, excited to be with you September 13th, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service. Also prepare yourself for life group starting. That same week, September 13th, we're gonna kick off our life groups. So if you need to get connected, I encourage you to call, email us, go to the website, get connected, and Pastor Greg will help you out. Well, we are in our summer series in the book of Psalm. Now, last week we took a beautiful break. We had our students come in. We had our student ministry staff of Tyler, Tommy, and Emily, and some of our core student leaders come and, and kind of take the service over and do an amazing job. They really taught us how important an intergenerational church experience is. So I want to say to all of you, thank you. And if you haven't seen it, make sure you go online and check it out. Go to our webpage. So student ministry team, students, thank you. We love you. So again, we are in our series in Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 139. So you get yourself to 139. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you, and we thank you. I pray that you would speak to us now, that you teach our hearts from your powerful word, that which you have for each one of us. So this is your moment. We give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to start with a story. It's a story of when I went to school as a non-traditional student. And what that means is I was an old guy, right? I was married, I had a child, and I went to finish up a, another degree. And as I was taking my classes, I had to take a 101 to fulfill a requirement. So I took Geology 101. So I went in there and it had well over 100 students, and it's a 101 class, and that is for generally incoming freshmen. So there's a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds, and in the back row were four of us old people. And so the professor got up, and he writes a date on the board. And he says, this class will be about the history of the earth and the mechanics. And he points at this date. He says, this is when the Bible says the earth was created. And he says, we are beyond the Bible now. And the entire lecture was of mocking God. Mocking God is our creator. And as I sat there taking this in, in my spiritual journey, I had some input when I was really young. I was probably closest to an agnostic at that moment. I just didn't have a lot of time to think about it. And I'm listening to this. And I'm watching the kids, the 18 and 19-year-olds, They've got their notepads out. They're taking notes with everything he says. They're nodding their head in affirmation. And when he would take a pointed shot at God, they would erupt in laughter. And so his attack on God got me asking questions of myself. And I asked, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about God as I listen to this? 
And as we look at Psalm 139, we're going to see David in a very similar situation. And for me, I asked that question, what was beautiful about that, the search for that answer and the discovery is really what led me here in my life. God drew my heart and did amazing things. And I'll tell that part of the story some other time, but it's amazing. And we'll see the same thing with David. He's in this tough situation and God uses it to draw him to himself. So turn to verse 22 or 19 through 22. And David's going to describe the situation he's in. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So what David is around, he wants these men to depart from him because they are taking the Lord's name in vain. They are mocking him. They're speaking against him. They are looking to destroy and discredit God. He says, these enemies of yours, God, they're enemies of mine. And David's response to that scenario, the situation he is in, is to pause and to think and ask questions. He says, they are saying all these things about you, God. But he asked himself, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about God? And he writes this beautiful psalm, Psalm 139. He writes his answer in this psalm. So let's look at what David's answer is in Psalm 139. See, in verses one through six, David professes, I believe that God knows me. Listen, verse one, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. See, what David points out here is God's intimate knowledge of him. This deep knowledge that God has. See, God knows all all of his movements, his sitting, his rising, his lying down, every path, everywhere he goes, God knows. And not only does he know everywhere he goes, he knows how he goes. He goes, you know all of my ways, my conduct. He says, you know my words. And not just that you know my words, but you know my words, my thoughts, before these words are even on my lips. See, God knows us intimately. God knows us deeply. He knows everything about us. <laughs> God knows everything about us, right? This <laughs> question. Yes, God knows everything. So does that encourage you? or discourage you. I hope it encourages you because God wants us to be encouraged because God uses his knowledge right, to protect us. David describes God's protection 
by his knowledge. Look at verse five. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. I'll have another translation of that same verse. I think it really paints a picture well of what David's talking about. He says, with your powerful arm, you protect me from every side. God reaches out and hems us and brings us in close with his arm to protect us from every side. See, God uses his knowledge to bring us close to him and to protect us, to lay his hand upon us, which really makes a reference to God's protection. His hand is there with us, protecting us. And see, we experience this in some of our relationships here on earth, not to the extent God knows us, but we get a glimmer of it. First is our parents, right? Our parents, they know us, they love us, and they take that knowledge of us and to express their love, and they make decisions to protect us, right? We have all heard a lot of no's and gotten a lot of guidance from our parents, but they're doing it to protect us because they know us. They know us deeply and they love us and they want what the, is the best for us. Kind of a funny illustration is in the movie, The Christmas Story. Remember that with Ralphie Boy? Well, Ralphie wanted a BB gun, a Red Ryder BB gun, right? And he went and asked his mom, and what did she say? Because she knew him, right? She knew him. She knew him well. And she said, Ralphie, no, because, and I'm sure you're chiming it right now, you'll shoot your eye out, right? <laughs> that whole thing. What did Ralphie do? <laughs> Put that BB gun, hit himself in the glasses and broke his glasses. She knew him. She loved him, wanted to protect him. That's what parents do. We have other relationships. I know for me, the person on the face of the earth that knows me best is my wife. And when we are talking, maybe in a conflict or we're in a group and uh, you know something kind of wounds me, upsets me, hurts me, uh, if she knows and understands it. I mean, there'll be times we'll be, you know, either talking or in a place and I feel the emotion, I feel that hit. And I'll tell myself, okay, freeze. Cause you know, don't express anything. It'll come to the surface, but I'll just go stone cold, right? And she knows every time. She'll say, I can tell that bothered you. It's like, how, how do you know that? Because she knows me so deeply, so intimately. And I still know, I mean, she can feel me. And then she extends me grace and mercy from that knowledge and steps in to protect me. And he says, I don't want you to hurt. I don't want you to be upset. I don't want you to be wounded. So let's, let's talk about it. And see, that's what God does. He knows us so deeply. The creator of the earth knows you deeply. And why? Because he loves you. Therefore, he wants to protect you. God's intimate knowledge of us is intended to bring us protection. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it's a gift. David says, God knows me. And he continues in verse seven. He says, I believe that God is with me. And in, in, in verses seven through 12, he takes this beautiful poetic brush and describes God's presence in his life. Listen to this. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. I mean, it's just beautifully described. See, David's acknowledging and speaking of God's boundless presence. See, in verse seven, he talks about God always being there. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Now, in the Hebrew, it looks to us like that's a negative, like he's trying to run from God. No, no, it's this beautiful expression of God. You are always there. You are always there. And he continues in verse eight to talk about that God is in every place, every place, all of time, every moment of our life. He says, whether I ascend up to heaven, which represents life, or the depths of Sheol, which is the place of the dead. So it's from life to death, all aspects of time, every moment of my life, God, you are there. You are there for all of time in every aspect of my life. He talks about space across any aspect of this entire earth. He says, whether I take wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, your hand shall lead me and hold me. You are there. And this is a beautiful picture of the wings of the morning. That is the beams of the sunlight from sunrise. And the uttermost parts of the sea is the Western sea for them. It's the full scope of what they see. The rising of the sun, the setting of the sun, all of the earth that they see that God is there. He is present in any and every space. It's just beautiful words. And he says, there you shall lead me and you, you shall hold my hand. And he even takes it a step further and says, you know, in my darkest moments, that God has a boundless pursuit of me, he says. Verses 11 and 12, he talks about God's boundless pursuit. He says, if darkness covers me and light be night. What he's saying is, no matter what situation, if, if I'm just buried in the thick of the messy, the heaviness, the ugly of life, in any and every situation, God, in that darkness, where I just feel like I am invisible to you, it's as light to you. You see it clearly. You are present. You are there. You can find me anywhere, is what David is saying. It reminds me of Jesus's mission to us. Luke 19, 10. Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. Even when we're lost, Jesus is seeking. He is pursuing us. He goes on later in the gospel. And in Matthew 18, he talks about leaving the 99 for the one. For when the one goes astray, he's going to go to him. So even when we wander away, God pursues us. So God has this balanced pursuit. No matter what situation you find yourself in, God is pursuing you. He's seeking. He is present there. So our response is that we think of God's presence everywhere. Is to be aware of it. He promises that he'll be there 
So our responsibility is to become aware of it, that God is with you always in all situations. And we have to acknowledge that presence. So I want to ask you a question. Where do you need to acknowledge God more? Where does the, 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 the night seem to be seeping into life? Where does God seem to not be for you? And I pray that you would awaken to God's presence because he's right there with you, pursuing you. David continues in verses 13 through 16. David professes, I believe that God created me. I believe that God created me. Listen to how he just beautifully writes this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So what David points out is God's fine craftsmanship here. In verses 13 through 15, he, he talks about the fine detail God takes in creating us. He uses words like, you form me my inward parts. It's like a watchmaker, right? Just think of a watchmaker. And those fine parts just dig. You've got the scope on and down. There's just what the image that we're getting of God is in my inward parts, down at the cellular level. Intricately knitted me together in the womb, he says. Man, I just think of, of, of the DNA strings and how God has just woven us together. I look at this, this fine work he does. He says, knitted me together. You think of someone who knits if you watch them. You know, they're just with those fine tips and just doing their thing, right? And loops and whatever it is. I'm not a knitter. But you just watch through that work, this beautiful creation unfold. I can just see this picture that David is painting of God doing this fine work and creating us. He points out that God is a craftsman. Listen to the words he uses. He says, God formed us. He formed us. God, God made us. He was intentional in what he was doing. He describes his creation as God's work. My frame being made, he states. This is this beautiful craftsmanship of God. And like every craftsman, he has a plan. He has a plan, a purpose for this creation. Verse 16 talks about God's plan. And I'm going to read from a different translation because I really think it you know, sheds some great light on this text. It says, your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So we see here is God has unique purpose for us. Uh, and, and that started before we're even in our mother's womb. He saw us in eternity past. And he says, I, before you were even substance, I had a plan for you. So God's creation is putting together, yes, in the womb, but it was far in creation's past, in eternity's past. And he has 
a future for us. It's all of eternity. It's this beautiful thing that we were created, not just for this moment, but for all of eternity. And in that, he has a specific, unique plan for each one of us. That the world needs, eternity needs, you. Nobody else, right? Because everybody is unique. God needs me, needs Scott Harris. That's hard for me to say. Just as he's created me, he needs me. He needs you in the same way, just as God created you. Beautifully, wonderfully. He needs you because he has a plan for you. Relationships for you to have, impact for you to have, experiences he wants you to have. You're his son, you're his daughter. And he, this fine craftsman has a unique plan for you. So the world needs you. But unfortunately, we've all been bombarded with lies. That kind of knocks our focus off. As I think of David writing about God creating us, I said, well, why was he writing about that here? I believe this, that when we look at these mockers against God, I believe some of their lies and they're coming against God, maybe directly at David, because he really makes this personal, that they're speaking against God and his creation and even them. And, and David's, I believe, evaluating God, what do you say about me? What do you believe about me? What is true? Because see, their lies and, and the lies that we've been told is, you know what? We need to be like everybody else. We need to conform, be different than we are because we're not good enough. We need to change. We need to be different. We need to be better. You know, my discovery in just my pastoral counseling over the years is there is great pain from people feeling like they don't measure up because of these lies of the world. A lot of pain. But there's a truth. And see, that's what David sees. It's what David is expressing here. There's a truth of what God says about us. Look at verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, he says. What David says is this, is I am created perfectly. Go back to Genesis. We are created in God's image. God calls us good. And that word in Genesis means perfect. We are created perfectly. And the words David uses, fearfully and wonderfully made. And what that means is it means uh, in awe, in reverence. In the truest sense of the word, you and I are made awesome. It's the wow factor. Like, wow, God, you did this. And what David is doing, he's pulling up a bench at this, this masterpiece that is him. Because God created us as masterpieces. You're a masterpiece. I'm a masterpiece. David is acknowledging that he's a masterpiece. And he pulls up a bench and he's just taking that in and saying, God, this is who you created. This is who I am. This is what is true. So if you go to any um, famous art gallery and there's a famous piece, what you'll see is a sitting bench out in front of that piece. And what that is intended is for people to sit down and take in that masterpiece and soak it in and really see it for all that it is worth and all that the artist intended for it. And that's what David is doing. And that's what we need to do. We need to pull up a bench and sit and look at the masterpiece that is you. 
That is me. You say, God, look at what you did. Look how amazing you are. Look what you created. Look at this masterpiece that is me. I know for our family, we've got knocked off that bench in recent years. In, in a moment around our granddaughter, my granddaughter, Ellie. My granddaughter, Ellie, uh, was born with what they call special needs. She had some uh, development issues. She was slowed, delayed. Uh, her motor skills uh, you know, were you know, delayed by some time. And they don't really fully know what's going on. They, they know why. And they're still trying to figure out all that is going on with Ellie. And as we started getting to know Ellie, you know, we started believing the lies that, you know, she's not normal, that she needs to be fixed, that her life is less than. But one day God woke us up. He refocused us. When she was young, I think around two years old, she was sitting on her dad's lap. And for Ellie, uh, the sound she would make would just be, you know, what felt like incoherent noises and, and babbling. So this day she's sitting on her dad's lap facing him. And for some reason he puts up one finger and she gives out one of those babbles, one of those utterances. And then he puts the second finger. And all of a sudden something became clear. She said something that sounded very much like the number two. And they stopped and it was very clear now. She said three, she said four, and she said five. And it blew everybody's mind because what they thought is she can't do that. She is just babbling. But what she had is she could communicate and speak and they, we missed it. My daughter said she had to leave the room in that moment. And just think about, because Ellie, not only um, was she ahead of her friends, but we found out that she knew the alphabet and all these amazing things miles ahead of her peers. It was beautiful. My daughter went before the Lord and said, just God, I'm sorry. Because I let the world get in the way of how I viewed what you did in this beautiful girl. I asked my daughter, Sydney, if she would write a letter just talking about this psalm and what it meant when she thinks about her daughter, Ellie. Listen to this. Psalm 139 was always a beautiful and simple text to me until I had Ellie. My daughter with special needs. I had to wrestle deeply with what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made when she doesn't fit the mold of what is considered normal. I had to wrestle deeply with, with what it looked like for God to hem her in behind and before with his hand laid on her when her life won't be a success by the standards of this world. I heard God saying that he formed her inward parts while doctors and tests told me she was broken, literally, saying her body did not form correctly in her mother's womb. But God told me he knew her there, delicately and creatively crafting all that she is. 
And there in that secret place, where it was just her and her heavenly father, who does only good things, each day was set before her. Each milestone missed, each painful test, each moment of confusion, fear and anxiety, all formed by God before one of them came to be. When I'm tempted to believe that Ellie is broken, that her life is a tragedy, that God does not have a purpose for her, or that God's goodness towards her ended when her brain formed abnormally, I think of Psalm 139. I am left with a simple question. Do I believe what God has said? If the answer is no, the future is uncertain. The grief may swallow me up. And then we would claw desperately to get as close as possible to quote unquote normal. But if the answer is yes, that I stand strong against fear. I have faith in the promise of hope and a future. I exchange broken for intricately woven and I share in God's delight over my precious, precious daughter, Ellie. See, we were refocused in that moment. We were brought back into on that bench where we could see the masterpiece that was Ellie. We all need to get to that bench again. And we need to see ourselves as God sees us, fearfully and wonderfully made. And we need to praise him. We need to praise him for all of it because it is beautiful in his sight. So what does David do with this? Here's how David responds in verse 23. He begins to talk about, as he looks at what they were saying about God, what they were proclaiming and trying to destroy and discredit God, everything they said about God. And then as he asked his question and he reflected on what he believed true about God, he says this, I choose you, God. I choose you. Compared to that, compared to the truth of who you are, I want all of you, God. I want to be fully with you. I want nothing between us, God. I choose you. And he invites God in, in verse 23 and 24. He says, I want us to be linked together. He says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He says, God, search me. Take me to the test. Inspect everything about me, my heart, my thoughts, everything. Nothing hidden from you, God. I want you to see everything because I want you to reveal if there's any grievous way or any offense, anything that separates me and you, God. I don't want anything to come in the way between you. and I don't want to be anything like them. I want to be everything with you. So reveal this to me. And then what you discover, what you reveal to me, God, then do your good work in my life. Lead me. Lead me to you. Lead me in the way everlasting. Connect me intimately to you. Nothing between us. David says, all I want is I want God because he is amazing because he knows me. He is with me and he created me. It all started with a question. 
who is God? And that answer changed David's course. It happened to me when I was at Eastern Washington University. Started with the question, what do I believe about God? Jesus takes us there in Matthew 16, takes his disciples there, he takes us there. There at the foot of a, of a cliff that has all these statues of pagan gods, Jesus asked this question of his disciples. Who do you say I am? Here's all their gods. Who do you say I am? And they kind of poked around at the angel. Some say this, some say that. But who do you say I am, he asked. Makes it very personal. And Peter, right? Bold Peter jumps out. Says, here's who I say you are, Jesus. I say you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And what he means there is you're the Christ means you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the one that came and that can save us. You're my Messiah. You're my Savior. And the Son of the living God, that means you're my King. He's acknowledging that you are the King. And I want to be in your kingdom. So Peter says, you are my Savior and you're my King. That is who I say you are. And Jesus responds, says, Peter, everything is going to change now. You're the rock. And I'm going to build my church on you. And that's what he wants us to sit back and to ponder and to think, to ask that question, who do we say Jesus is? Because to answer that question will change everything. So I ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Is he your king? Is he setting your course? Are you trusting his presence? Do you trust his protection? Do you trust how he created you? And maybe you question now, you're not sure. I want to invite you to come online and pray with one of the pastors, process that step by faith to say, Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. You're my savior. And you're my king. I want your ways because your ways will take me in the path everlasting. Nor sure I love you. This question is a powerful question. Ask yourself this question and let's walk it out together. God bless you. Let's do this thing together. Love you, North Shore.